0: Welcome to the Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEO Podcast. I'm Martin Harsberger, President of Measurable Results LLC and martinharsberger.com. I'm a retired CEO of both a manufacturing company and a third-party logistics company. We were lucky enough to grow both to eight-figure organizations. I've been consulting with small and mid-tier companies for the past 16 years. Our mission with this podcast is to provide a forum to help CEOs in these critical industries share their stories, share best practices, and learn from each other. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, go to supply. Each interview will take about 30 minutes. Thanks for listening. Hi, welcome to this episode of Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. I have Jason Jones, CEO and co-founder. Co-founder? of hybrid manufacturing technologies. Welcome, Jason.
1: Thank you, Martin. Great to be with you.
0: Tell us about hybrid. I looked at your, I think you and I conversed a little bit before you got on here. I was interested in the additive technology. Tell us what that, tell us what you guys do.
1: So a lot of people have heard about this idea of 3D printing and it's gained a lot of traction in the last decade or so. Our specialty is taking that and implementing it into existing product lines, specifically within CNC machines. So if you're interested in this new technology, you can now adopt it, and it lives alongside your existing incumbent metalworking machines.
0: So the application, if I look at your website, you're actually adding metal to parts, refurbing parts, that kind of thing?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah. And it's not just metal. We can also do composites, you know, carbon fiber filled polymers and that sort of thing, but our, we, we see a lot in those higher value materials, either polymer or metal.
0: Well, I, I'm not uh, familiar with 3D printing a little bit. I worked with a client that we printed uh, frack balls, if, you, if you're familiar with fracking, but they're balls they yeah. put down well to temporarily seal. Uh, okay. So, and I know they do they do things with 3D printing like concrete even. So, but the metal, I, I tried to read your, your process and I'm not sure I, I got all of it, the metal, itself isn't heated or it's not melted, but you, you put a substrate down that's melted. Is that correct?
1: So the way it works is we'll add on to an existing part typically. And we have a laser beam that will come down and heat up the existing part or just a flat sheet of metal either way. It gets it hot enough that it melts just a little bit. And then we'll add feedstock material into that and it will melt and you know fuse together. Oh, so see. you, like you actually crazy. build things up.
0: Oh, okay. I'm familiar with laser cutting. I used to, uh, one of my companies, we had a couple of Mazak lasers and they were pretty neat. So you're using laser with just enough heat not to, not to penetrate, but to heat and then add the, uh, add the additive metal as well. That's pretty cool.
1: That's right. So how'd you get
0: started doing that?
1: So we conceptualized this in an academic kind of research environment about 15 or 18 years ago. We said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could, dot, dot, dot. And we managed to pull it off technically, and then we spun it out. And we've now, since 2012, we've done this commercially.
0: All right. So what's your, your company? Actually, do you sell the, uh, the equipment, or do you sell just the service itself, or both?
1: So we do both. Initially, there was no equipment that would do what we wanted. So we had to invent the equipment. We needed to use it to make sure that it actually worked. And so we ended up with a business model where we can do either one.
0: I see, okay. So it, just promoting edification here, because I'm not sure, the laser, like we had a 2,500 watt laser, it would cut through anything, literally. Uh, sure. problem but so is this a low wattage laser? Is that what that is or is it?
1: At a minimum, it's hundreds of watts. So most people don't consider it low at all. Often we're in kilowatt space. And that's usually where you get your best return, is where you're using one or one or more kilowatts of laser energy.
0: Okay, cool. I get it. Interesting. So who are some of your customers? What do you what's your I saw your applications on the website? Tell us a little bit about that.
1: So we're really focused. If you do remanufacturing, you are our perfect customer. And some of our early work started off with Cummins, they were remanufacturing parts. And we cut our teeth looking at their diesel engines and turbochargers, other things that really improve the efficiency of their process. We've also done it on the aerospace side as well. So if you need to remake metal parts, it's a beautiful fit for where yeah. we're at. Equally, so, well, go ahead.
0: No, I just went from the talk of aerospace from a sprint standpoint and all that. Obviously, I've done all that testing. Just, the first thing that comes to your mind is you're re- remanufacturing metal parts or airplanes. How do you... <laughs>
1: That's, yeah, well, that's the reality of many airplanes now is they want them to stay in service longer and longer and longer. And so there's a need to look to this technology to say, hey, can we keep these parts in better condition? Can we even, when I talk about remanufacturing, most people think about just restoring them to what they used to do. Because we can add metal, we can now add higher performance metals, Oh. So whether it's a new or an old part, we can often produce things that are actually better than new, if you will, oh, and okay. can perform for much longer than before.
0: OK, that's a great that's a great explanation. I like that.
1: So how did, how did
0: you personally get started in this business?
1: So I loved making things growing up. And as I learned that computer controlled machines to make things, I found that rather hypnotic to think I can. I can program a machine to do things without me. And then you end up pushing the button and watching it operate. And that's really what kind of led me into this space. So I started off programming cutting on CNC machines, then laser cutting, and then naturally added 3D printing.
0: Yeah. Good for you. So how, how big is your company? How you guys have been doing it since when?
1: Yeah, since 2012. 2012. We've now grown. There's about 15 of us. Oh. And so it's fun to see this market start to take off. We actually collaborate with a bunch of CNC machine tool builders. You mentioned earlier that you used a Mazak laser cutter. Right. Mazak and ourselves, we partner to provide some of their hybrid machines, oh, cool. and so you can get that direct from Mazak as a new machine, and it has our products built into it. And the same is true of about you know ten other machine tool builders.
0: So do you do that on licensing? Excuse me, licensing level or how do you do that? You just
1: sell so it to Actual components that have the intelligence in them, we build still and then they get integrated into other machines. Oh,
0: so cool. we become part of
1: the supply chain for so many of those companies.
0: we have got a few ways to market rather than just, just one, huh? That's right. So tell us about your business now with the past year. I mean, hopefully manufacturers coming back. I mean, <laughs> It, <laughs> it <not>? certainly <laughs> is.
1: <laughs> yeah. And what we've seen is a look toward these types of technologies to be able to to shorten the supply chain, right? So often we've been accustomed to, you know, sending something away and outsourcing it. And especially if it seems, you know, dirty or lots of time consuming from an operator perspective, we've often found it most convenient to outsource it often far away from home. And as we recognize now critical infrastructure, we really want it to be close to home. These sorts of technologies allow us to bring it you know, closer and even provide it you know, n- near to where it's consumed. Uh,
0: probably a dumb question, but I'm, I'm thinking of one problem we had with one of my clients with, uh, with a cast part far away. <laughs> and and it, spag- it came back, Waited six months before, it came back on a ship, but then it, it was like a quarter of an inch too big. It wouldn't fit in a machine uh, And it's cast. So, <laughs> so what do you do with it? Can you can you build a part up, just spec? Yeah.
1: We can build from scratch, and we often work on a lot of castings, so oh, we can reduce good. their size or increase their size. That's the harder one, right?
0: Yeah. So you could you could take that. It was a bucket, a huge bucket. They mixed in. You could take the specs of that and actually create that here.
1: That's right. That's and awesome. in fact, we recently had a batch of uh, pro, you know parts that we worked on that were an old revision. They were an old spec. The design engineers updated the spec and that left this company with quite a sizable amount of you know parts that were out of spec or out of revision on the shelf. And they said, hey, can we update these parts to the new revision? It was like, absolutely. And so brought them all in and updated all of them to be the latest revision. And then they went back out and could be used now.
0: That's great. I mean, that, that uh, solves a lot of problems because a lot of, you know, let's say a lot of machinery in this country is old and we keep it 30, 40 years, right? Uh, that's great. It still runs. But, you know, usually get upgraded this electronics or the controls, but but the parts themselves, when they wear, that's an issue. Uh, gears yeah. uh, have, have made. So that's, that's, I didn't know they existed to tell you the truth. I've well, and
1: so often you'll find a really good mix it So much of the shape of that part was already right. And so just to modify it was less than 10% of what it would have cost to make new parts.
0: Yeah, for sure a lot of it just wears wears out, so if you can so we could take a gear that's worn and you could actually build it back to spec.
1: Yeah, um, we add no. add teeth back on no problem at all.
0: What would the, what would the turnaround time be in that?
1: Depends so, on how bad the you know the teeth are, but often this can be done in a number of hours.
0: Wow. I mean, we're talking about to cast a new gear, it's months. I mean to make the all. I, yeah. That's really interesting. It's so, you know, one of the questions I always ask you about your value proposition, like, I, what is your, what do, what do you guys consider your value proposition? I mean, I, I see many of them. So, what do you guys sell on?
1: Well, ultimately, it has to come down to time or price or quality, and ideally all three. But yes. mostly, I'd say we address time, right? Where you're trying to compress timelines, especially if you've got a long supply chain. Where things have to go out a long ways and come back a long ways and it's months, we can wow. often really shorten that up to be, you know, minutes or weeks, you know, minutes or hours or sometimes weeks where it used to be months.
0: Wow. Well, where do you think your industry's going? We see
1: when you say our industry, because we're focused on sort of this process, it addresses a wide variety of verticals you know, from automotive to aerospace to mold and dye. But more than anything, what we see is a desire to be able to do things locally on the spot. And as we automate these multiple steps, it really is becoming more practical to say, we're going to put one machine over here down in Houston. We're going to put another machine over, you know, maybe on the East Coast somewhere. And then you can can replicate that work in a very scalable way because everything's digitally driven and well-documented to make it digitally driven. You have to document all of those critical parameters and other things. And so it makes it scalable.
0: Do you offer uh, as part of your service, do you offer engineering support? Uh, draft we connect? do. I mean, that yeah, would frequently
1: be. somebody will come and want the whole, you know, prove out all the way up to, you know, yeah. essentially pilot production and then head back off.
0: You have to do that, but that makes a perfect business model. If I call and say, look, I've got this bucket. And you know, here's here's a drawing. What can you do with it? You could you're, you're, you're local, so if there's any questions or anything, you could talk back and forth, which we couldn't do in this case. It was lost in the hinterlands over there, so it was it was a mess. So, do you think you're gonna you see a large growth potential for your business?
1: We do, absolutely. We we feel like there's explosive potential here, especially as people recognize that they can insource so many things that they've historically outsourced.
0: One of the things we're trying I'm trying to do with this podcast is to generate enough interest in manufacturing to actually do that. I mean I hope I the outsourcing thing to the degree we did it didn't make any sense to begin with because we depend on countries that may or may not be friendly to us for everything, even simplest things. And sure. so it doesn't make sense. And now you look at the supply chain issues we have. I did a thing on LinkedIn the other day. Um, a gentleman in California keeps, keeps reporting on a number of ships off Long Beach. He was up to 71 last Sunday. And I went on the ship tracker and I looked at the the whole package from both oceans. It's amazing. It's wall-to-wall ships. I mean, it looks like you could walk across the ocean. And that's our supply chain. It's just out there all jumbled up. Uh, can't get it unloaded, but I mean, just, just the sheer volume of it that's coming and going. It doesn't make sense to ship something up specialty part that, well I guess it's smaller do you fly it but in most cases are not. Uh, so I think uh, I think that the impetus for the next two years and the government's got to kick in we got to get manufacturing back. Now the only issue I'll bring up is what about workforce?
1: So for us, where you have a new technology, it's exciting enough that actually a lot of the talented workers want to learn the newest thing. And so we we know from some of our customers that have adopted this in-house, it gives them a way to attract some of the newer workers who are really interested in moving forward and progressing. So right. it's an advantage where they're you know, competing for talent to say, hey, come use this new technology and, and really get it embedded. And it's desirable from that standpoint.
0: Yeah, I would say from your standpoint, it wouldn't be a problem I mean, because it is new and it's it's exciting. But, but the thing that scares me much about manufacturing is that, and we talk about skilled labor. Yeah, there's shortages shortage of skilled labor because of STEM. We haven't done a lot of interest in, in, in uh, engineering and so on like we should have. But but even the unskilled labor is a, is a major issue, just the turnover. And uh, I think that, that somehow the, the manufacturing industry has to find a way to solve that. Uh, by the answer, I wouldn't be sitting here, but I don't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I We don't have a solution for everything, but one of my philosophies is that Manufacturing equipment should be as easy to, to run as playing a video game. And if we can apply that sort of mentality, particularly to the digitally driven manufacturing techniques, it allows us to at least evolve the right direction.
0: Yeah.
1: Where, you know, as I said, embed it into the software, embed it into the part programs to where your, your skilled labor force, you get to reuse that capability over and over again that they that they've embedded into the software.
0: Well, what are you going to focus on this year, 2022?
1: This year, we're excited because we're expanding our remit uh, in terms of what we've been doing from an additive and subtractive standpoint. We're actually bringing a little bit more together with some really deep inspection tools. And what that allows you to do is detect real time as you're building things to make sure that they're good. You know, parts are good and that you're delivering that higher performance you can only get through this combination of technologies. So, so. Do you
0: know all that in-house.
1: We do. Yep. And that way you know as an operator, you know, even at the lower skill levels, if you're tracking correctly and if you're going to produce good things. Awesome.
0: So you sell that as an add-on to your to your actual partner?
1: Right. Yep.
0: I'd love to see your business model in action. I mean, that, that's pretty neat. I mean, as soon as I looked at your, uh, when I reached out to you, I thought, that really does look neat. And I, and I wasn't familiar with it. And I wonder how many other people are. What, what do you, what's your customer base? I mean, is it large companies typically, or do you see? Uh,
1: we see an adoption in sort of two strands, two or three strands. Most of them have a manufacturing base where they've got multiple CNC machines or robots already and they've already appreciated the basics of automation. They're now looking to go to that next generation. Okay. So our objective is to ultimately serve a lot of the mom and pop machine shops here in the US. For where the market at is at now, we don't see a lot of them quite yet, but we know that's coming in the near term.
0: The question is how do you reach, it? how do you sell? How do you sell to that? Yeah, I mean, but that, that, that's where i see the me because that's I typically deal with manufacturers under hundred million. 50 million is kind of a sweet spot. Uh, I don't like too large a company because it's too cumbersome. I'm too old <laughs> to be frustrated anymore. So, But that's that's the need. I mean, you're, we're typically using small machine shops, and we're trying to do a lot of the things you're doing, but they're starting from scratch. They don't have the technology you're talking about. And it's it yeah. time and, and strength. It's and all that. But
1: just just being a machine shop, even if you're just a one or a two person machine shop, already having mastered the, I can take a model and I can create, you know, tool path instructions for your CNC machine. That is the core skill on which our technology is built.
0: So you could do that. You could could actually send them the program to run it. It's awesome.
1: And so many of our tools will be added, literally they add on to a CNC machine to where they're already using, it's the same machine they're already using. It's the same code they're already using. So we've tried to make it as easy to adopt as possible so that you can literally just expand your tool set, you know, add another tool to the tool magazine and then be able to do metal deposition or polymer composite extrusion or those sorts of things.
0: Wow, that's cool. I mean, that, that, that would be, a, if I were sitting in your shoes, I probably want to do that because you're, you're making a, such a differentiator, obviously you're a one-stop shop for design engineering, equipment, whatever, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, I know that from a manufacturing standpoint, programming lasers, PLCs, uh, that's a huge problem as well. I mean, it just it just doesn't, it's not intuitive and it's not easy to teach. Uh, so anything you can do there would be great. What's interesting, I mean, I, I was excited to talk to you.
1: Well, thanks, I appreciate it, Martin. And to me, one of the exciting things is that CAD-CAM providers have now started to incorporate tools to really help people so that you get that kind of visual feedback as you're programming. And you can do a little simulation on screen and make sure you're going to get what you're anticipating. And we've been very pleased with a variety of different CAD CAM providers who now offer tools for adding in hybrid solutions. Awesome.
0: Well, how can people reach you when they want to find out more about you? Because I'd stumbled across you and I reached out to you because I, I saw your website and I thought, that's pretty cool. And I, I do want to get that message out. How sure. people reach-
1: the website's the easiest way, hybridmanutech.com. And if you go there and say, Hey, I'd like to learn a little bit more or call the phone number that's on there. Happy to speak with people and engage and see if what we do can, you know, resonate and help empower them, help solve some of their problems.
0: Awesome. Anything else we need to know about your company or you?
1: Just that we're real pleased to be here speaking with you, Martin. We appreciate you reaching out. And I feel like this, this wave of innovation that we're all uh, benefiting from, I think it gives us solutions and it should provide confidence, even in some of this uncertainty of of what's going on to allow us to move forward with optimism.
0: Well, we have to be. I mean, it's, it's critical. You know, and optimism right now is... Uh insured supply with some of the things that are going on. So, I appreciate your time. Thank, thank,
1: you, thank you, you so for much, Martin.
0: Thanks for listening to Manufacturing and Supply Chain CEOs. If you're a successful CEO in manufacturing or supply chain would like to be part of the program, please visit www.martinharsberger.com slash supply. If you got some value out of the interview, please share it on social media. We'd really appreciate it. Also, if you know someone that would make a great guest, tag them and let them know about the show. Again, our mission is to focus on manufacturing and supply chain CEOs. We'd like to share your story and provide industry trends and updates that would interest our listeners. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. Make sure you don't miss an episode. Go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and interviews go a long way in promoting the show. Connect with me on social media. I'm on LinkedIn at uh, Martin Harshberger, uh, or through my website, www.martinharshberger.com. Again, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening.